Uh, I am a, I'm a counselor, but I'm also a pastor. And uh, Pastor Brian asked me to talk on marriage, and we are going to talk on marriage. But, um, you know, there are probably going to be moments it won't feel like that. But uh, I've, I've been counseling for over 30 years. And uh, one time I, you know, just kind of tried to figure it out. And I figured I'd been, I've done between 12 and 13,000 hours of counseling. Just eyeball to eyeball with individuals and couples and families and working on their stuff. And I, I, I just love the things I've learned. I love the things I've watched God do. Uh, I'm kind of telling you, really, I'm kind of answering the question, you know, why, why should I bother listening to this guy? But probably the better reason you should listen to me, my wonderful wife's over here, and we've been married 40 years and um, <clears throat> how many have been married 40 years or more? 40 years or more. Stand up if you've been married 40 years or more. All right. All right. 40 years or more, stand back up if they weren't, were not happy years. Nope. I'm always hoping I can catch somebody, you know, and they're like, oh. <laughs> All right. Y'all like jokes? Y'all like, y'all like to loosen up a little bit? I'm a counselor, so I thought I'm going to find some counseling jokes. So uh, the, the, the doctor psychiatrist sitting in his office and his receptionist calls and says, doctor, there's a patient here who thinks he's invisible. That's all right. Tell him I can't see him right now. <laughs> Two, <laughs> it's pretty good, wasn't it? I didn't make these up. I Google like everybody else. Um, two counselors pass each other in the hallway. One of them says hello, and the other one, as he gets past, says, I wonder what he meant by that. <laughs> Sandy comes into her counselor's office and says, I, I keep thinking I'm a dog. And the counselor says, Well, you know, sit over here on the couch and we'll talk about it. I'm not allowed on the furniture. Some of you over here didn't get that. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. There's uh, two, two scriptures, two sections of scripture that I would normally say are, are my favorite two to talk about when it pertains to marriage and relationships. And oh, by the way, even if you're not married to, you know, like this is kind of marriage, the best year ever. How many of you want it to be the best year ever, by the way? All right. I'm going to say some more about that as we wind up here. But here's the thing. Even if you're not married right this moment, uh, you're still going to get something out of this message. It'll still be helpful. So, uh, so be thinking about that. But there's two passages of scripture that I like to use when I talk about marriage. One of them is the obvious one back in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And you know, he put him to sleep and made even all that. And we won't crack any jokes about anywhere, any and all that craziness. But then a few verses later, he says, for this cause, a man shall leave, say leave his father and mother and cleave, say cleave, cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, right? One, whatever. So, you know, I love to talk about that. And uh, I mean, there's so many directions you can go with the whole leave, cleave, and become one. I really believe you can't do one until you do two, and you can't do, I mean, you can't do two until you do one. You can't do two, uh, three until you do two, and it just, whatever. I love talking about it. But there's an interesting verse right after that. Uh, that's verse 24. And then verse 25 says this, they are both naked. What's the rest of it? And felt no shame. Now, yes, it means physical nakedness, but it means all kinds of exposure and vulnerability. In other words, they were totally known and vulnerable 
and felt no shame. Now, interestingly, that's the last verse in chapter 2. You drop into chapter 3, and we have what we call the fall, and Adam and Eve sin and all that, and the devil and all that cool stuff. Not cool stuff, sorry. Bad stuff. <clears throat> and um, God comes, you know, to take a walk with them like he's used to, and they're hiding. And so God says, where are you, Adam? And gosh, this is like one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. For a counselor, oh my goodness, this is so rich. Listen to this response. Remember Genesis 2.25? They were both naked, exposed, vulnerable, but felt no shame. And here we are 10 verses later. 10 verses. And here's what Adam says. Adam, where are you? And here's what he says. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Here's what a counselor like me hears in that. I was afraid that if you really see me as I am, you won't like what you see, so I hide. I was afraid if you really see me as I am, you won't like what you see, so I hide. I personally believe that all of us are born with three default settings in our soul. And those three default settings are fear, shame, and hiding. Fear, what, what, what's our number one fear? We're going to talk about this more in a minute. But what's the number one fear people have? It's not dying, believe it or not. Dr. Phil taught me this by his first book. They used to study people all over the different country, different socioeconomic scales, everywhere. And what's the number one fear they found? It begins with an R. Rejection. Rejection. How many of you agree with that? Say yes if you agree with that. We all have this just, just sort of inherent fear that if you really get to know me, you won't like me. <clears throat> so we hide, and we hide behind different things. Now, great scriptures, but those are not the, that's not the ones we're going to use to talk about today. But it, it kind of, it's going to set some background for what we're going to do. What we are going to talk about today is Matthew chapter 22, and kind of 34 to 40-ish in there. But here's what happened. Some uh, Pharisees and people that were always trying to trip Jesus up and make him look bad, they came to Jesus, and they said to him, teacher... What is the most com important commandment in the law of Moses? And I kind of hear it like this. What's the biggest issue on the heart of God? Now, in a word, one word, what did Jesus answer? What's the greatest commandment in the law of Moses? What did he say? Love. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor how? As yourself. Hmm, interesting thought. Love God your heart, so mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Study was done a while back, and I'll, uh, they, they, they studied the church, and they were dis a big church, well-known church, and they were disappointed in the results of their discipling efforts. And they just, they just didn't feel like they were really making, you know, followers of Christ that acted, thought, and behaved like Jesus. So they paid for this great big study, and they ended up writing a little book on it. And I wasn't going to read it, but I felt like the Holy Spirit nudged me to read it. You know, you ever had the Holy Spirit just kind of tease you like he's got something for you? And I really felt like he had something for me hidden in this book if I would just read it. So I read it, and I hit this one page. It was either 74 or 76. The only reason I remember that was because it was a cool little God moment for me. But in their study, all their research, they landed on this verse. 
And here's what they kind of concluded, that we're making it too complicated, we're making it too whatever, and it's really, coming out of this verse, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? It's really simple. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. And they said, man, we're just making discipleship too complicated. Love God, love others. Well, here's the thing. Here's what this humble guy in front of you thinks. They're wrong. They're wrong. We've been trying to teach people to love God and love others for years and years and years and years, and it isn't working because it feels like a chore. And it isn't what the verse said. It isn't what the verse said. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor, how? As yourself. You know what I believe? That last phrase is one of the few scriptures we do automatically. We love others the way we love ourselves. How many of you would think that if you believed it? Let's say you just said, you know, I think that's probably true. We love others the way we love ourselves. How many of you know your next thought should be, Houston, we have a problem? You understand what I'm saying? Do you realize that the hardest person you're ever going to have to learn to love is the one sitting in your chair? Do you also realize that the process you have to go through with God to learn to love yourself will give you all the tools you'll ever need to love other people. So we're going to use these verses to roll into what I want to talk about today. And hidden in them, is, for me, is some of the most helpful things I've learned in my 40 years journeying with God as a Christian and as a pastor. So i got three points we're going to talk about. Three, and um, hopefully they'll be really, really helpful for you, married or not. But this will definitely help you in a marriage. So point number one, know yourself, like yourself, be yourself. Know yourself, like yourself, be yourself. Remember what I said a minute ago. Adam, God came looking for Adam, and Adam said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Know yourself, like yourself, be yourself. How many of you believe God made you? Raise your hand if you believe God made you. How many believe you are his workmanship? Ephesians 2.10 says that we were created, we were, were God's workmanship, and we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're, we're the workmanship of God. So one more time, how many of you believe you, the shaping of you, the designing of you, the making of you was the work of God? Raise your hand if you believe that. All right, you believe you are the work of God. How many of you have spent lots of time criticizing his work? I don't like my nose. I don't like my butt. I'm not tall enough. I'm this, I'm that. You with me? Here's the thing. How many of you agree that we should value what God values? Love what God loves. Hate what God hates. Right? How many of you believe we should love what God loves? How many of you think the word confession... You know what the word confession means? It means to say the same thing as. It means if, if this person's saying, you know, it's sunny today, confession would mean say the same thing as them. Confessing is saying the same thing God says. If you want to love who God loves, guess where you've got to start? 
Do you realize God's crazy about you? Well, yeah, but he, you know, he's waiting for me to get my act together. Don't hold your breath on that one. Do you realize, go to an auction. You go to an auction, you hold up an object, and you, how much are you going to pay for, how many are you going to pay for something? Anything. What are you going to pay for it? What's going to determine the amount you'll pay? Pardon me? What it's worth to you. The value that thing has to you, right? So here you are. Please make this personal. Here you are on the auction block. Your ugly sin, your selfishness, your all that you are. And now listen now. You pay for something on auction equal value to what it's worth to you. What did God pay for you? Say his name. Jesus. All right. Whoa, time out. I'm on the auction block. God looks at the auction block and says, I've got to pay for you what you're worth to me. And he slaps Jesus on the counter. Please hear me. Do you realize you're as valuable to God as Jesus? You're, Jesus sitting over there on the steps. You go over and sit next to him. Somebody comes up and they say, God the Father, who do you love more, Jesus or Joe? Who do you love more, God, Jesus or Joe? You know what God does? He's just quiet because there's no difference. There's no difference. There's no difference. He loves you and me. He loves me a little bit more, but he loves you and me <laughs> as much as he does Jesus. Say yes if you're still here. My father said something to me as I was growing up. My father was a good guy, relatively speaking, but he was terrible at expressing affection. And what he would say to me is, you're lazy and you'll never amount to anything. And he was, he was like a god to me. I mean, I would have done anything to get his approval. And that little phrase was seared in my soul. You're lazy and you'll never amount to anything. Now, the short of it is this. How many of you would agree with this statement? Comparison is the root of all inferiority. Comparison is the root of all inferiority. Right? Ladies. Men check ladies out. But that's nothing like the way you check each other out. I love walking, you know, walking with my wife and you pass another couple and the ladies are up and down on each other. I mean, it, I, I dare you to do it. It's so funny. I mean, they're just like shamelessly just up and down. If a guy does that, you're like, who do you think you are? And, and up and down. Now, here's the deal. Comparison is the root of all fever. You're lazy and never mount anything. I compared myself to type A driven, successful, get a lot of things done, man, build things like this. And I'm just not wired that way. And I felt, the, the, it, you could probably take my life now and split it almost in half. Definitely my Christian journey, 40 years, you could split about in half. That I live feeling like I was just a loser. And you're just a loser, dude. You don't work hard enough, whatever, whatever. Well, here's the thing. I make my living sitting on my butt listening to people. I don't look like the hardest working guy in the world. I'm real laid back. I'm pretty relaxed. 
You give me an afternoon to myself, I'm going to either go to a movie or read a book or, you know, whatever. Now, comparisons are all inferiority. The way, the way God helped me know myself, like myself, be myself, is doing what I do. He showed me somebody in a hurry reading their watch. I mean, looking at their watch. All right, come on. I, all right, I got that. Here, here's a Kleenex. Stop your crying. And I was looking at this picture in my brain, and I said, God, but I'm not like that. And then it hit me. Huh. You, you made me this way? Huh. You like me this way? And then basically I sensed God say, Chipper, I made you laid back and relaxed so that my hurting children would be comfortable to come and talk to you. Do you understand what just happened? Comparison's the root of all inferiority. Now I come into places like yours and I look around and I say, gosh, I, I can't build this. But I go in a room alone with a couple and I say, Brian can't do this. You follow me. Don't let comparison rob you of enjoying the you that God meant for you to be. The ultimate surrender to the sovereignty of God. How many of you want to sub- surrender to the sovereignty of God, right? The ultimate surrender to the sovereignty of God is self-acceptance. The ultimate surrender to God's sovereignty is I am the me you meant for me to be. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. You can be yeah, but all the way to your grave. What if you just decided to enjoy the person you have to spend the most time with? Doesn't it kind of stink that the person you spend the most time with you don't even like? Now, wouldn't it be cool... If somehow you and God worked it out to where you could look in the mirror and go, you know what, dude? You're okay. You know what? If I was your friend, I think I'd like you. Now, how many of you know we've almost been taught it's a sin? I've actually heard people, I've seen books written that it's wrong to believe God loves you. It's just crazy. How many of you believe God loves you? Raise your hand if you believe God loves you. See, here's the problem. Some of you just lied. Because you believe God loves you as an intellectual fact, as a scriptural truth. You don't believe it as an experienced reality. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's where most people's faith is. God created you to love you. Not know in your head he loves you. I'm talking about goosebumps, heart racing. God loves me. I have this weird brain. You, you, you'll, you'll figure that out. But I picture, I picture myself waking up in the morning and God's hovering over my bed. Kind of creepy, isn't it? He's, he's hovering over my bed and he says, Chipper, I've been waiting for you to get up. I've got such a cool day planned for us. God is the nicest person I've ever met. He's the nicest person I've ever met. Do you realize the Bible says that it's while you were enemies, Christ died for us? 
Did Jesus do enough or not? Did Jesus do enough or not? Then what are you waiting for? Imagine waking up every day as if you've never sinned. Imagine waking up every day as if you've never sinned. Try it. How many have sinned this week? How many have sinned this morning? How many of you are going to do some more sinning this week? (laughs) Your first calling in life is to be yourself. Your first calling in life is to be yourself. All right, point number two. First one, know yourself, like yourself, be yourself. Point number two is going to sound like we're changing gears, and maybe we are a little bit, but it's just important because I think, it's, I think it's, it is, it's the truth. If you want to have the best year you've ever had, if you want to have a great marriage, if you want to have a great life, never stop growing. Never stop growing. One of my biggest, uh, with the church, is people get saved, and they just kind of put their fire insurance in the safety deposit box, and they just go on. Heard Max Lucado tell the story one time. He said, you know, mom's sleeping in her room at the middle of the night, and little Johnny falls out of bed and cries out, and she runs in the room, and she says, Johnny, what happened? And here's what Johnny says. I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. Jesus didn't die to forgive your sins and take you to heaven. That bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Make me want to spit. How dare you reduce the work of Calvary to just forgiveness? Yes, we're forgiven. I thank God we're forgiven. But gosh, he's given us so much more. Deuteronomy 30, God said, Today I've given you the choice between life and death, blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. And it's almost like he's pleading when he says this, Please choose life. Please choose life. Please, so that I can bless you and your kids. And here's, here's what I believe. I believe life is movement, growth, and change. Life, something's alive when it's moving, growing, and changing. No movement, no growth, no change, no life. Coasting. You pedal up the side of the hill, and then you coast down the other side. The most alive you'll ever feel in your life is pedaling up the hill. Coasting kills you. Why? God didn't make you to coast. You're designed to live by faith. What is faith? Faith is the the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen yet. One of the things my wife and I love about our marriage and our relationship is we're just, we're we're so, we're, 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 we're satisfied, content, grateful, but we're still hungry. We still have goals and aspirations. We still, there's still things we want God to do. The most boring people in the world are those that have stopped growing. Coasting kills. The moment you stop growing, you start dying. Read a book one time, and it talked about a guy who had a a plaque or something on his desk, and it had the picture of a tombstone. And the tombstone read this, John Doe died at 35, buried at 90. Now here's the deal. Growth doesn't have to be this 
but it's got to be this. How many of you want this to be the best year you've ever had? All right, then do this for me. Hold your hand up and do that. Do you realize that's all you've got to do? It's all you've got to do. How many of you, if we asked you to and you knew where they were, you could go to the light switches and turn them on? How many of you could probably figure that out, right? Or if I asked you to get me a glass of water, you could get me a glass of water. Now, here's the deal. Is that all that it's taking to turn these lights on as you go into that wall? Behind that wall is hundreds of years of scientific discovery, all kinds of work. You see where I'm going? There's an immense amount of stuff beyond that wall that makes these lights work. But all you have to do is that. You want this to be the best year you've ever had? Figure out, and we'll say more about this as we wind up, figure out where could you do just a little bit of something different and God leverage leverage it into the best year you've ever had. All right, last point. Know yourself, like yourself, be yourself. Never stop growing. And number three, and this is honestly my favorite because it kind of ties this one, one and three together. Learn to fill your bucket from the inside out. Learn to fill your bucket. We're going to have a couple come up in just a minute. I'll call you in a second. And they're going to help me with a little illustration. But I want you to imagine everybody in the room has a bucket that represents what you need. It represents love, respect, appreciation, encouragement. It represents everything you need. Let me ask you a question. Is it wrong to have needs? Yes or no? No. And what we're going to talk about is where we get in trouble. All right, I'm a guy who's pastored and counseled for somewhere around 36 years. Again, I'm not all that, but if a guy who's pastored and counseled for 36 years says, I'm about to tell you what I believe is the number one relationship mistake that most of us keep making. A guy who's worked with hundreds and hundreds of couples is about to answer the question, what is the number one relationship mistake most of us keep making? And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. I just say that to kind of get you listening, not because I'm all that. So if my couple would come up, where are you? Here you go. We're just going to do a little, little illustration for you. All right, let's see. Yeah, you can be right here. All right, remember, this bucket represents what they need. They need love. They need appreciation. They need, yeah, can you give her one of those? He, he, I knew what he was doing. It, that looked funny to them, dude. So that's what you need, okay? Now, stand closer together, please. And, you know, you, you have needs. I want you to imagine that she's got about two inches of water. There isn't any water in it, by the way. But she's got about two inches of water in the bottom. What does that mean about the rest of her tank? It's empty. He's got about two inches of water. What does that mean about the rest of his tank? It's empty. So, what does life look like? All right, you know, whatever. Now, what what does it really look like? She broke her bucket, man. That, see, broken heart. This is good. Was it already broken? Can you guys come back for the next service? All right, what just happened? 
here's the deal. He's got two inches of water. She's got two inches of water. Listen to me. Even if he poured, act like you're pouring everything you have in there. Even if he poured everything he has in her bucket, is it going to fill her bucket? No. And what's he going to be like when that's done? He's not going to be a healthy camper. So walk over this way, both of you, about right there. And you come with me, sir. What he does or what he's going to do is what I believe is the secret to a great marriage, and that is have an affair. So he's going to come over here and (laughs) listen, listen, listen. And he's going to have an affair with a limitless source of everything he needs. So he's going to come over here and have an affair with God. Now, what does God do? God starts filling his bucket. God starts filling his bucket. He fills his bucket up to now it's about one to two inches at the top empty and the rest full. Important question. Does he feel any different? Does he live any different? Oh, yeah, big time. Now, the cool thing is she does the same thing. And she comes over here and has an affair with God. Imagine this is a hose connected to heaven. And it fills her bucket with everything she needs up to just about an inch or two at the top. Does she feel any different? Oh, yeah. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Now they move back toward each other. And what's happening? Now they're moving toward each other from fullness to give from their excess, not to take from their lack. How many of you think this marriage feels different than the first one? Now, what am I trying to say to you? The number one relationship mistake most of us keep making, the fancy Bible word for it, is idolatry. An idol is anyone or anything, anyone or anything you use to meet a need only God can meet. Remember what we said a minute ago, over there, if he'd poured his whole bucket in, would it fill her tank? Here's a really, 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 really important thought. I think you guys can go. Well, wait just one more second. Here's a, I want to do one other thing. Here's a really, really important thought. Um, it isn't that they can fill each other's bucket, but they choose not to. How many of you know the difference between can and will? Well, you can fill my bucket, but you will not. You choose not to. Here's the deal. I don't care how much they love each other. We do. We do. <laughs> All right, dude. He's getting brownie points. I don't know what he's up to here. Is he in trouble? Did he get in trouble on the way here? No. No? All right. So no matter how, well, how much they love each other, can his love fill her bucket? No. Can her love fill his bucket? No. Why? Was he created to have her fill his bucket? Who is he created to have a love affair with? God. The hole in your soul is bigger than any other person or thing can fill. Thank you, guys. You You can just put it back there. Here's the deal. How many of you think they ought to stay for the second service or third service? How many of you ever heard this, this statement? Most marriages are two ticks and no dog. It's two people trying to get from one another what neither one of them has. Do you realize how much different it is when I move toward my wife full, not empty? Here's the deal. When I was learning all this, uh, I went home and I, I fired my wife. I fired my children. I didn't tell my parents, but I fired them. 
I used to put a picture up here of Donald Trump saying you're fired, and right now that's just a little creepy. So I don't, I don't, I don't use it anymore. It's like, that's just kind of weird. But, but now, what I did was I said, I said, darling, I love you. I know you love me, but here's the thing. If I have a day that I do not feel loved, it is not your fault. It's not your fault. Why? Who am I going to for my love? God. What if you went, listen to these two words, they're so important. What if you went to God first and most? Say first and most. First and most. First and most. First and most for everything you need. A couple of scriptures real quickly. John 4, verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, this is the woman at the well. He asked her to get her water and, you know, do you know who I am and all that? And then there's the well sitting there. And here's what Jesus says. And I believe he points at the well. And he says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Thirst is the pain or discomfort of unmet need. Everyone who drinks this water, here's what I would say, outside in, you're going to stay thirsty. But whoever drinks of the water that I, Jesus, give him shall never thirst. Say never thirst. God didn't give you a spouse to meet all your needs. He wants to do that. But the water that I will give him will become in him, in her, a well of water. How'd you like to take everything you need with you everywhere you go? Like when I come into a meeting like this, I want you guys to like me. I want you to say nice things about me. When I'm gone, I want you to say, wow, he's a pretty good communicator. But here's the deal. I don't need, say need. I don't need you to like me. I want, you feel the difference? I want you to like me. Why don't I need you to like me? God likes me, you don't. God likes me, you don't. God likes me, you don't. You're an idiot. (laughs) Now, I don't really believe that. But why would you put your joy so cheap that all it takes is one or two people having an attitude with you and your joy is gone? Why would you do that? Seven whatever billion people on the planet, are they all going to like you? Hardly. John chapter 7, now in the, verse 37, Now in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone's thirsty, what does that mean? If anyone's experiencing the discomfort of unmet need, let him come to me and drink. Just come to me and drink. Ah. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost, from his innermost being. God wants you to learn how to get your needs met from the inside out, not the outside in. It'll revolutionize every relationship you have. Let me just read you a few statements real quickly and then we'll be done. Thirst is, I think these are going to be up here. Thirst is the discomfort of unmet needs. You were created to look to God for everything you need. No other person can, it isn't that they could, but they won't, meet your deepest needs for love. Most people, when you say, you know, idolatry, they picture like a Buddha or something. If you really want to know the idols in your life, get out your family photo album. If you really want to find 
idols in your life, get out the family photo album. Yes, it's great for your parents to love you. Yes, it's great for them to be proud of you. But if their opinion matters more than God's, they're an idol. If their temperament, their mood has more effect on you than God does, they're an idol, and you're giving them too much power. Can anybody say yes? That's kind of weak, but I got you. Addiction idols are attempts to meet our need for God without God. Our attempts to meet our need for God without God. Gosh, I love to talk about that stuff. Every cycle you have that you're trying to break, I feel very comfortable saying this. Every cycle you have that you're trying to break is trying to get a right need, right need met the wrong way. And if you could figure out a better way to get the need met, that cycle will break. It really, really, really will. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. How many of you want this to be the best year you've ever had? All right. Here's the deal. Insanity, what? Doing the same thing, expecting different results, right? So I like to say things a little bit differently. So if you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. If you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. It hurts me to say this because it's going to have a little bite to it. If you don't, don't, do not do anything different. Don't you dare whine and wonder next year this time why this year didn't change. You have got to do something different. Remember this a minute ago? Do it again real quick. It's all you've got to do. The most important thing I could ask of you is this. The, the, one of the, I, I would say this is the number one thing I've learned as a Christian. How to receive, say receive, and rest in my Father's love. This one. How to receive, how many of you know that's not as easy as it sounds? How to receive and rest in my Father's love. If you didn't say anything but that, you know what, God? I want, I, want, I want to figure that out. I want to figure that out. You know a great start? I'm going to be in church. You know what I've learned 30 plus years doing this stuff? If you just make a commitment to be around a group of people that are just a little bit healthier than you are, and I'm not sure this is the right place, but there's a little bit healthier. I'm kidding. If you, if you make a commitment to hang around a group of people, small group, church, whatever, that are just a little bit healthier than you are. Listen to me now. And don't do anything else different. Nothing. You don't change anything else. You just hang around people that are a little bit healthier than you. Consistently, your life will change. It's just the way God made us. Your life will change. Please, please allow God to love you. He wants to so badly. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, Thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for these wonderful people. Brian and Amy and the leadership, the elders. This church has a really great feel to it. And God, I pray that in this room, in this place, and through these people, you will bring others into not just sins forgiven, heaven when I die, but the full reality of being brought into the the bosom of the Father. That my God loves me as much as he does Jesus. Help every one of the people in this room 
to come to that realization and experience it as real. And I thank you, sir, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.